welcome to Grace Life Church live stream service. It's March 22nd, 10 a.m., and I'm really excited and thankful that not only do we have this technology to be able to continue to do the three things that uh, fit into the vision of Grace Life Church, gather, grow, and go. It's going to look a little bit different right now, obviously, in the gathering, but I'm thankful for friends like Jeff and Meredith Stein who have opened up their house. The Hendricks opened up their home last week. And so we will continue. We're not sure from what location. We're just doing some tests, seeing where the internet signal seems to be the strongest. Uh, but for now, this is where we're at, and we're thankful. So I want to welcome you. Uh, hopefully you're getting a good, clear, strong signal. Uh, we're doing the best that we can. Pray for us. Pray for this live stream service to, uh, to reach a lot of people. And uh, our worship team, I'm going to invite to come up here and lead us in some songs. You should have gotten an email that there's a little click button link below where you can find the lyrics and you can sing with us wherever you're at. Um, we're united in Christ spiritually right now. So that's the good news. So I'm going to pause and pray and then I'm going to invite Kyle and TJ to come and lead us in some worship. And then we're going to take a third and final look at Psalm 23. So you can join me and pray right now. Heavenly Father, thank you so much for modern technology that we can stay um, connected in our gathering, at least for now, through digital technology. And I pray that you would be with us here. We're all at different locations, different cities, zip codes apart, some of us, Lord, but we are united through the Holy Spirit of God who has been sent to dwell in our hearts. And we are united through our common faith in Christ. And so I'm grateful for that. I pray that you would infuse our worship this morning and have it our praise help us to just um, be genuine and authentic in our worship even in our own living rooms even apart from one another and uh, bless our time together we pray these things in jesus name settle our hearts today god we we need to hear and and remember the good news of the gospel today more than ever so help us to do that reflect on your goodness in jesus name we pray amen guys come and lead us start by reading a Bible verse real quick out of Psalm 113 verses 1 through 4. It says, Praise the Lord, praise, O servants of the Lord, praise the name of the Lord. Blessed be the name of the Lord from this time forth and forevermore. From the rising of the sun to its setting, the name of the Lord is to be praised. The Lord is high above all nations and his glory above the heavens.
you that even in this dark time, Lord, where everyone is scared and anxious, we thank you that you are a light and that we still have a hope and a promise from you, God, that holds true. And we thank you that you're bigger than this virus. You're bigger than all of this stuff that's going on in the world, God. And I pray that you help that be the song in our hearts, Lord, that we can praise you regardless of what the world is doing. Lord, I pray for Pastor Tommy. I pray that you give him the words to speak today, Lord. And even though the church isn't together as a whole, Lord, and we're doing this online, I just pray that we can still just love each other and care for each other, Lord, any way that we can. In Jesus' name, amen. continuing our good life series um, we'll be in part three and we're back in psalm 23 if you want to uh, turn within your bibles with me or look at your smart device um, the lord is my shepherd psalm 23 a psalm of david the lord is my shepherd i shall not want he makes me lie down in green pastures he leads me beside still waters he restores my soul he leads me in paths of righteousness for his name's sake even though I walk through the valley of the shadow of death, I will fear no evil, for you are with me. Your rod and your staff, they comfort me. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life, and I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. Well, good morning again. If you have a device out or you have your Bible open, you can just leave it out to uh, leave it marked on Psalm 23. We're going to be taking a look at this psalm for the, for the third and the final time. We've been looking at it for the last two weeks, and this is going to be our final time together in it. And I wish we could go further because honestly, I can't think of a better psalm to be saturating and dominating our hearts right now than the truths and the realities that we find in this psalm. I don't think I need to convince you how relevant these truths are for us right now, not only as a nation or even as a church, but honestly just as individuals, just to maybe even rethink life at a, at a much deeper uh, level than we have been. That seems to be what is on everyone's mind right now. We need the comfort and the hope that this psalm offers more than we ever have probably, because I don't know if you're like me, but the last few days I've seen a truth played out. It is a lot easier to spread fear than it is to spread hope, isn't it? I mean, fear sticks, it attaches to us. We are naturally like magnetized to fear, but hope is there's this, there's this um, repellent, it almost seems like. We have an aversion to hope. It's, it's easier for us to get afraid and to spread that and to read things and to just let, let facts dominate our minds that's gonna deepen that fear. But hope does not come easy for us. I would imagine that a lot of people are experts on this virus now, and here's what I mean. I'm not talking about the scientist and the biologist and the chemist that study it. I'm talking about everybody's reading about it. We're, we're like longing for the next bit of news that changes every day. Uh, oh, what do they know about this? Is it attacking children now? Is it spreading? What's it like in Italy and Spain? Uh, what's, it, what's the death toll? How many people are infected? How many tests are coming back? 
that's dominating our minds right now. And I think maybe what God is doing is he's saying, I want to be more real to you than this virus. It's, it's time to think about our shepherd. These are really simple truths, um, but they're powerful truths in, in this psalm. It's really ama amazing because people right now are thinking, uh, how's this going to change my life? How's this virus going to change my life? What's, what's the landscape of, of, of my future going to be like now? What about my health? What about the economy? What about my job? What about childcare? All those things seem to be shifting. Uh, as a matter of fact, to be honest, a lot of people's worldview is getting challenged right now. The, the lens and the filter through which they have viewed their life and made sense of their existence, they're seeing the weaknesses, the flaws, and the cracks in it. And, and beloved, that's a good thing. It's a good thing for us to question the truths that we use to make sense out of life. Um, sometimes God turns, he turns the volume down a little bit for us. What's amazing to me about this psalm is that it's so well known by people. Um, in fact, people maybe that have never been exposed to the Bible at all would probably know this psalm. Maybe they've heard it read at the bedside of somebody that was sick, or maybe they heard it read at a funeral. But do you know what's interesting to me is this psalm is just six verses, but there are absolutely no commands in this psalm. No commands. There's no rules. For those of you that remember grammar school, there's, let me see if I get this right, there's three kinds of sentences, right? There's questions, there's commands, and then there's just declarations. You could call it indicatives, just statements about truth and reality. And this psalm is filled with those. It's not a to-do list. There's not a lot of things for you to do, uh, but it is life-changing. So for the people that think the Bible is just a, a book of rules or a, a code of conduct um, or worship uh, regulations, it, it's really not. There are rules in there, but but... The power in this psalm is it's telling us things about God that are just so fundamental. And this is what I would really want to remind people of would be this. David knew his shepherd. This, this wasn't just David finding himself in a crisis and, and scrambling to say, well, I got to figure out who God is. No, David had an abiding trust in God. The, his relationship went deep and it went far and it went wide. And what encouragement for us, you know, maybe some of us are seeing, you know what? I don't know enough stabilizing, securing, anchoring truths about God and about the Bible that would, that would anchor and secure my heart right now. Maybe it's a wake up call to say, you know what? No wonder I haven't been feeding in these green pastures and drinking at still waters because I haven't, I haven't created those boundaries in my life where I have time to do that. And maybe that's the wake up call for some of us is to say, look, this is the good life, and there's no rules here. It's not a list of commands, but listen, friends, there is this underlying assumption in all of this that if he is the shepherd and we are the sheep, then what God calls us to do is follow him, right? He's the shepherd. We're not. We follow him. We follow him. Uh, there's a place in the Lord of the Rings, and I'll apologize in advance for the Lord of the Ring references today. I'm trying to reread that book. I try to do that every year, and no better time than, than now to do that. A lot of people are reading, and the library just closed. So maybe it's a good time for you guys to read Lord of the Rings, one of the best books ever written. But in that book, you know the power of this ring. It's enticing, and it's seductive. And there's a, there's a statement early on in the book, and it says this. Bilbo could not rest unless the ring was in his pocket. You know, the old hobbit that had that ring. He could not rest unless the ring was in his pocket. And I think we're all like that. There's something that we take comfort in. And, and build our lives on. And as long as that's secure and with us, we think we're resting. But if, as you know, the story plays out. It wasn't really rest at all that Bilbo was experiencing. It was enslavement. 
It was enslavement. That thing was changing him into something hideous and something ugly and something dark and something untrue. And I think maybe right now God is telling all of us, hey, what is it that's in your pocket that you've been trusting in and hoping in to give you rest? And you need to pull that thing out and, 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 and see, is this the, the truth and the reality that God offers us through Christ? So anyway, that's a long introduction. We've been looking at, at, at some of these truths about the shepherd that don't change. The news about the virus changes every day. Life around us and maybe underneath us changes every day, but these truths are rock solid and they, they never change. I was, uh, I was reading an interview by one of the leading physicists at the University of Colorado School of Medicine. He did an interview the other day about this virus and this is what he said, and this would be my last reference to the virus, okay? That's what I'm trying to get away from this morning, honestly. He said this, he said, this virus is potent for a lot of reasons. It's potent biologically, but it's probably more potent psychologically and socially than any virus we've ever known. And then he goes on to say this. He says, I don't mean to sound flippant, but it's March and the bars are closed. March madness is March sadness. The NCAA tournaments were canceled. Whether you love hockey or golf or basketball or going to the movies or dining out, all of a sudden the world has been put on pause. And he's right, the world has been put on pause. And it's almost as if God had turned the volume down. There's a famous existential, existentialist and philosopher named Soren Kierkegaard, and he was noted for saying this. He said, if God spoke into the world, would anyone hear him? If God like blasted like a trumpet his voice, would anybody in the world even hear him? And he speculates and he says, no, they wouldn't because there's too much noise. And I agree. And so Soren Kierkegaard says, the world needs more than anything else right now, silence, silence. And that's really what God, is, what God is doing and that's what this psalm is calling for. And this is not the only place in the Bible this happens. You know, guys, God is always calling us to, to just stop what we're doing and take inventory on our lives and on reality and on truth. Uh, psalm 46 says, be still and know that I am God. And you know, that's a command in a psalm and it says, I want you to know something about me. God is inviting us to know something about him. But before you do, you got to stop. You got to be still. It's almost as if God is saying, wait, stop, sit, rest, quiet, listen. <laughs> we don't like that though. The noise is up and we're restless. We're all over the place. And so this psalm is inviting us to do something that's unnatural to us, but that is good for us. It's to stop, sit, be quiet, and listen to these Amazing truths about your shepherd and let them wash over your soul. So we're going to try to give you some slides here for all you visual learners out there. So the past, you know, this was originally one, going to be one sermon on Psalm 23, but quickly it turned into three and I'm thankful in God's providence it did because it's good to just immerse ourselves into these truths for these, these few weeks. Um, so message number one was who's got your ear? We, you know, we're all hardwired to find a shepherd and we will. We're all hardwired to find somebody to guide us, to lead us, to whisper into our ear, tell us what reality is. So, so that was point number one, who is guiding you? Who's guiding you? Point number two was who's got your back? Not just who's got your ear, but who's got your back? Who's looking out for you? Who's protecting you? And we saw in this psalm very quickly that this shepherd has a rod and he has a staff. He is protecting the sheep. He is looking out for the sheep. Uh, he's not a pushover. You know, the shepherd is armed. He's armed and he is actively looking over his own. So who's got your ear? Um, 
who's got your back. And you know, I want to I want to say maybe something I didn't get to say last week. The middle of the psalm it says, even though I walk through the darkest valley, that's what that word means in Hebrew, valley of the shadow of death, shadow of death. Even though I walk through this this dark, deep, dangerous, uncertain valley where there's all these threats and hostile forces out to get me, I'm not afraid because the shepherd's with me, okay? Now listen, this is not escapism. This psalm is not calling you, oh, just escape and just be, just blind yourself. Put blinders on to the reality that we live in a fallen world with fallen people, fallen forces that we're at the mercy of, it seems like, fallen viruses. He's not saying uh, that we're not gonna suffer, that we're not gonna be hurt, that there's not a very real and serious danger and threat. What he's saying is you don't have to be captive to the fear of those things, right? It's not that you're never gonna face uh, death, uh, it's that you don't have to be afraid of it. So who's got your ear? Who's got your back? And then this last point, and I think that this is, every preacher says this with whatever sermon he's preaching. I think this is the best one because the analogy changes here. We go from this shepherd who loves his sheep, guides his sheep, feeds his sheep, protects his sheep. We go from that analogy to something really different in verses five and six. We go from the shepherd to the host. Uh, you know, before he's the, sheep, he's the shepherd, we're the sheep. And now all of a sudden it changes and he is our host and we're a guest in his house and we are most welcome there. And this is a really powerful analogy and we're gonna look at, uh, we're gonna look at three points actually from this analogy. And, and, and here are the points, we got a slide for this. Um, and it's gonna be, the three things are gonna be, uh, it's all about reception, okay? That, that's, that's the first point, is gonna be uh, reception because that's important. If you, if you lived in the Middle East during the time this psalm was written, um, you would know all about traveling. You know, if, if, if you're weary and you're exhausted, and, and this is a very arid environment where uh, the weather would soar up into the 100 degree mark probably, and your skin would be dry and cracked and your throat would be parched, and you know, you would, you, you would basically be at the mercy of the forces around you. You could get robbed on the road, an animal could attack you, lots of things could happen. You would be tired, you would be anxious, and you would probably be restless. And listen, they didn't have Motel 6 back then, okay? There were no hotels, they didn't have Airbnb. You were looking for somebody to be hospitable to you and put you up for the night. Hospitality was huge. That, that was a shame and honor culture too. Uh, and it was almost like shame on you if you don't welcome and be hospitable to, to guests that come and are looking to you for shelter and for protection. And so the analogy that we find here in this Psalm in verses five and six is that not only are we sheep who need a shepherd, but we are, we are like wearied, exhausted travelers and we are looking for lodging. We're looking for a place to rest, some type of oasis from the arid, dry desert heat so that we can sit, we can feast, we can eat, we can drink, we can put oil on ourselves and be anointed to be freshened up and we can finally and truly rest and you know um lord of the rings illustration here okay you know in when frodo in the fellowship of the ring a ring wraith attacks him with a a weapon that's that's sinister and it splinters this sword he's stabbed with it breaks off and starts we, the splinter of metal starts working its way to his heart and he's basically dying and so they're rushing him as fast as they can to the, a place called rivendell in the forest which it's like this enchanted magical place where Elrond, one of the elder elves, he oversees it. 
Uh, you know, he's like the owner and the ruler and the master of this magical enchanted realm in the forest, Rivendell. So they finally get Frodo there and he passes out in bed and he heals because this place is all about healing and rest. And he wakes up and he doesn't know where he's at and Gandalf, the wizard, is beside him. And I want to I just read, you can just follow along, I want to read a passage from Lord of the Rings here because I think J.R. Tolkien, when he wrote this, had this rest in mind that we find in the Bible. So check this out. He woke up and he said, where am I? Am I safe? And Gandalf said, you are in Rivendell in the house of Elrond and you need not worry about anything for the present. And then, then he goes on, he says this, the author, that house was, as Bilbo had long ago reported, a perfect house. Whether you like food or sleep or storytelling or singing or just sitting and thinking best or a pleasant mixture of them all. Merely to be there was a cure for weariness, for fear, and for sadness. Doesn't that resonate? And then he goes on and he says, Frodo with both, was both surprised and abashed to find that he had a seat at Elrond's table among all these folks so high and fair. Though he had a suitable chair and was raised upon several cushions, he felt very small and rather out of place. But that feeling quickly passed. The feast was merry, and the food, all that his hunger could desire. For a while, the hobbits continued to talk and think of the past journeys and the perils that lay ahead. But such was the virtue of the land of Rivendell that soon all fear and anxiety was lifted from their minds. The future, good or ill, was not forgotten, but ceased to have any power over the present. Health and hope grew strong in them, and they were content with each good day as it came, taking pleasure in every meal and in every word and song. Doesn't, that, doesn't something about that resonate with you? I think J.R.R. Tolkien was onto something. Don't we long to truly rest? We are so restless. We're like the waves of the ocean, the Bible calls us. We're restless, moving to and fro, looking for a place to just belong. Our hearts long for that. We want to truly be received and we want to be welcomed and we want to belong. And this Psalm tells us that. Listen, not only are we sheep that need a shepherd, we're weary traveling nomads and our hearts are so longing to be welcomed into the care of somebody who can truly show us hospitality and, and meet our, not just meet our basic needs, but listen, beloved, God wants to lavish you with his extravagance, with his grace. He wants you to, he wants to seat you at his table and he wants to prepare a table. That, that's what that means. It means a feast. Can you imagine if you were a traveler and you found like a Hilton? That'd be cool, wouldn't it? And there's a buffet bar in the morning and a continental breakfast maybe. I don't know what they offer. But that's not what this psalm pictures. This, this picture is like over and above and beyond. There's like, I think we have a slide for this. There would be oil for, for your parched skin to anoint you, to refresh in you. There would be wine to drink, which for a weary traveler, that would be truly refreshing. Uh, there would be this amazing feast to, to quench, uh, quench your hunger and to satisfy you. And the words and the adjectives that are used here, my cup is completely full. I am fully satisfied. I had no unmet needs or, or unmet longings. Everything has been taken care of. I can put my feet up. I have a best. I have a, I have a bed. I have a table. I have this host that's providing all of this. Don't we long for that? And, you know, I was thinking the other day, I know it's, it's always risky using political uh, illustrations because so many different people are in different places, even how they view the president. 
but there was a time in America where everyone would have just jumped at the opportunity to go to the White House, right? If somebody invited you to the White House to dine with the president and maybe the Congress and his cabinet, you would be like, oh my word, man, I would die for that. Well, 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 think about this in that way. You're invited to the White House, okay? You are the guest of honor. And you're like, cool, I get to dine with the president? Yeah, but beyond that, the president's gonna serve you. He's gonna cook the food, he's gonna wait your table, he's gonna massage your feet, he's gonna sing to you. I mean, it's just amazing. That's kind of the word picture and the power that you get from this psalm. It's the one whose opinion matters the most, the one that can show you the most reception is there, and he's the one inviting you. He, he's not going to delegate this task to somebody else, right? To a waiter or a waitress. No, he's doing it himself. This is his house. You are in his house. This goes so far above and beyond the house of Elrond, the Lord of the Elves. This is God, right? This is God, and we belong, and we, he is receiving us, and he is meeting all of our needs. Um, protection covered, food covered, drink covered, guidance covered. This is a place that's overflowing with plenty. And man, I just love that word picture. That, let that just, brothers and sisters, let that wash over you. This is what God offers you in Christ. You have all of that. You have true rest. It's more than just a place of rest. It's a person of rest. We'll talk about that a little bit later. Um, this is a, a, a true feast. One person writes, oil and wine were highly valued in the dry, barren lands of the Near East. In Palestine, where the sun shines fiercely most of the year, and the temperatures soar into the hundreds, the skin becomes cracked and broken, throats become parched, oil soothes the skin, particularly the face, wine clears the throat. When a guest arrived at the home of a friend, hospitality demanded the provision of oil and wine so the ravages of travel might be overcome. So what he's describing here is this amazing welcome. It's an amazing welcome. But listen, this word picture goes, it goes above that because the second thing our hearts long for, and let's just really be honest here, and this is going to be a strange point to try and make. It may, it may seem awkward uh, to think about this and to talk about this, but it's vindication. It's vindication. I think we have a slide for that too. Um, our hearts long to be vindicated. You say, well, what are you talking about, Pastor? We've been wronged, haven't we? You know, we, we long to be received. We long for a reception because we were weary. We long for vindication because we have been wronged. Listen, if you are a Christian, the Bible says all those who desire to live a godly life in Christ Jesus will suffer persecution. Listen, there are hostile forces out there that are aimed against you. Not just people, there are angels that are fallen. There's, there's demonic activity. The world is against you. Your own flesh is against you. Uh, the devil is against you. So it's out there. It's in here. Uh, we get persecuted. We get passed over for things that unbelievers don't. We don't cut corners at work. We don't lie. We don't cheat. We don't steal. And listen, that lifestyle is offensive. It's attractive to some people, but to others, the message that empowers it, it's offensive. And we suffer persecution. We do. And there's, be honest, isn't there deep down within you, isn't there this part of you that desires vindication? We've been wronged, it's not right, and we want to be vindicated. I, I wouldn't go as far to say that you want revenge. You don't want the people to suffer that have wronged you. You just want all accounts to be settled. And this is what's interesting about this psalm. Check this out. He says in verse five, you prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. Now that's interesting. Not only are you received and, and all these blessings are lavished upon you, but there is an audience there who is watching this. And you know who the audience is? It's all those people who have contributed in some way to your suffering 
because of your belief. Because of your faith in Christ, you have suffered. Those who have either caused it or intensified it or aggravated it, now they're watching you. They're watching God welcome you. This is what they've always wanted but, but have refused the very means to have. And now you are sitting at the table. You're the guest of honor, and they're watching. One person said it this way. He said, when a host accepts a man to be his guest, he agrees at whatever cost to defend his guest from all possible enemies during the time of his entertainment. So you prepare a feast before me in the Net Bible. We got a slide on that too. The Net Bible, I love that translation. He says, you prepare a feast before me in plain sight of my enemies. All those enemies now are watching you. And it's really, it's hard to wrap your mind around, well, what, what would this look like? Is this talking about like the end of the ages when we're vindicated? Yeah, yeah, there, there's a part of it that's, that's talking about that. Maybe an Old Testament illustration would help. I don't know how many of you are familiar with the book of Esther in the Old Testament, but it's an amazing story. Uh, I was reading this with my kids the other day. Um, there is a Jew in the book of Esther whose name is Mordecai, okay? And there is uh, a Persian in the book of Esther, and his name is Haman. And he is like the right-hand official of King Ahasuerus. And he is a mean guy. He's a nasty guy. He hates the Jews, and he especially hates Mordecai because Mordecai doesn't kowtow to him. He doesn't uh, kiss his feet and flatter him. And so Haman hates Mordecai, and he's plotting his demise. He's plotting his death. He, he's... he's scheming, he's plotting, There's a con he's conspiring, and he actually ends up building uh, a, a, a set of gallows 50 cubits high, and he goes to tell the king to have Mordecai hung on them. And as he is going to tell the king his plan, uh, that very night the king couldn't sleep. Okay, He was restless, and he called for the royal records, the chronicles to be read, and there's this story about a Jew named Mordecai who saved the king's life. He he, he unveiled this, this hidden plot to destroy the king, and his name was recorded in the Chronicles, but he was never properly rewarded. So the night when Haman was plotting Mordecai's death, the king was reading about Mordecai and how he was a hero and had never been awarded. So when Haman shows up in the king's court to tell the king about his plot, um, the king has just read that, and he says, look, I really want to honor this Jew that I've never met named Mordecai. And he says, who's in the courts? And they're like, Haman's out there. And he says, bring him in. And he says, Haman, what would you do to honor somebody who has just gone above and beyond in service? And of course, Haman is thinking, oh, he's talking about me. And he goes, oh, this is great. I've been dying for this. And he says, well, here's what I would do. I would take the, take the crown off the king's head and put it on that person. The king says, that's good. He says, take the robe off of the king and put it on that person. And the king says, I'm liking this. He says, in fact, take the king's horse and set that man on it that you want to honor, that you delight in. Put your crown on him, put your robe on him, let him get on your horse, and then have, have one of your servants to lead him through the city and to call out, this is what the king will do to honor the one he delights in. And the king says, I love everything you've said. Go do that to Mordecai. You do it. You lead him. You put my robe on him and put my crown on him. And it's a really an amazing story. We've got a slide that shows a picture of that an artist drew of Mordecai the Jew being led through the streets of Persia by his enemy, Haman. You talk about vindication. Like the whole city was watching the king delight in this person, making his enemy contribute to that honor. So you can go check that story out when you get time. We got a lot of time on our hands right now. So you can read the book of Esther. But this is about vindication. This is about God honoring those who have served him 
and who have done so in an environment that was hostile and that was um, threatening to them. So the third point is this, moving along here, it's reassurance. What do our hearts long for? We, we long to be received, right, because we're weary. We long to be vindicated because we've been wronged. And maybe this is the best part in this entire Psalm, verse 5 and 6. Uh, we, we long to have assurance because we're worried. We're like, okay, I get it. This host is taking, he's the hostess with the mostest. He's taking care of my needs. He's feeding me. He is anointing me. That word anoint actually means to refresh. He's putting uh, this oil on me as a moisturizer. I've been in the hot, arid heat, uh, and I have room, and I have board. But you know what? This is all going to end, and, and, and it's back to the grime. It's, it's back to life. There's a checkout by noon the next day. This can't last forever. And God is saying, no, that, that's not true. This can last forever. This will last forever. There's no... There's no need for any of this to ever change. There's no reason for it to, right? This is not Motel 6. This is the rea this is the good life. This is the good life in a word picture in this psalm. And you're like, we'll prove it. We'll, we'll check out verses 5 and 6 of, of Psalm 23. You prepare a table before me in the presence of my enemies. You anoint my head with oil. My cup overflows. Surely goodness and mercy will follow me all the days of my life. This never ends. And I shall dwell in the house of the Lord forever. In Hebrew, that's for length of days. This is never going to end. This is your life now, right? You're just getting taste of it right now in this fallen environment. But friends, this is never going to have to end, ever, ever. You never have to check out, never. And, and, and that's the reality here. You know, maybe you've experienced this before. I certainly have. My wife and I have. Uh, we were going to take this amazing trip for our one year anniversary, but our plans fell through and you know, when you're a newlywed, money just seems to just evaporate. And so we couldn't go, but we have a really good friend and he said, you know what, you guys, are. this is your first year, first anniversary, I got some timeshare in Hawaii. And I'm hearing this and I'm like, what, shut up, for real? He says, yes, this one time, my wife and I have timeshare in Hawaii, if we don't use it, we'll lose it. So we will, we will let you use this, you and your wife. And I'm thinking, that's great, man, but plane ticket to Hawaii, I can't afford that. Well, somebody else had worked at Delta for 23 years and they had this thing called a buddy pass. And he said, I'll let you guys use that. So we had free lodging in Hawaii on the big island, the Kona side of the big island. We virtually flew there for free. And once we got there, we went to all these little one hour meetings for timeshare. They think you're gonna buy more and they give you a $100 restaurant car to local eateries. So we virtually went to this place where the only thing we had to pay for was a rental car. And we drove 1,100 miles the 10 days that we stayed there. We went all over the place. You know, there's, I'm told there's 13 ecosystems in the world and 11 of them can be found on the island that we stayed at in Hawaii. We went everywhere. We went and visited the uh, volcano before it erupted this last year. Uh, went and saw the hot lava. We went to tropical rainforest. We saw ranches. It was the most amazing thing I've ever seen. We went to like 12 different beaches. We went to Snorkeler's Paradise. Guys, I have never in my life seen that part of nature. Just so isolated and exotic and beautiful. And we were originally gonna stay for seven days, but we decided to extend it to 10 days. And I kid you not, when it was time to go, I cried like a baby. I cried like a baby. I did not want to come back to the daily grind of life. And, and my wife cried too. We just cried like, like, like babies. We didn't want to go back. We didn't want to face the reality of life after the one year anniversary, but we had to. But you know what's so amazing about this is there's no checkout. You don't ever have to forego this. This is your life. This is the good life. And this is the life that God offers you and you never have to forfeit that. This is what 
Derek Kidner said. He said, to be God's guest is to be more than an acquaintance and to be invited for the day. It is to actually live with him. So there's no back to the grind, back to the curse. No, you are invited back into Eden. Somebody has provided for your entrance there. You have entered through the broken and the slaughtered body of, of Jesus Christ, and that can never be changed. There's no threats. In fact, that's the reassurance we all want, right? Well, listen, okay, so I'm, I'm, I'm a guest of this amazing host, but what if I offend him? What, what if he changes his mind about me? What if I do something that is just so off-putting and uh, he just, he changes, he changes his mind and kicks me out? No, check this out. Check this verse out. In verse 6, it says, Surely goodness and mercy shall follow me all the days of my life. Those are two really, really powerful words. I just want to talk about one of them for now, okay? Goodness and mercy shall follow me. A, a better translation for follow is actually chase. It means literally to hunt you down, to hunt you down. And the word for faithfulness is actually hesed. It's that word for covenantal faithfulness in the Old Testament. And it's covenant language. It's saying, look, this guest has made an agreement, a covenant with his host. Or excuse me, this, this host has made a covenant, an agreement with his guest. And it cannot be broken. It can only be broken at the reputation uh, of this host, right? His, his reputation, his name is on the line. He's never going to kick you out, okay? In fact, his faithfulness is going to chase you. It's going to pursue you. How about that for assurance? You're like, well, you know what? Maybe I'm just going to be on my own. No, you're not. His mercy and his faithfulness, his goodness is going to pursue you. It's going to chase you. It's going to hunt you all the days of your life. Um, forgive me for one final Lord of the Rings illustration, okay? This is not in the book. This is in the movie. If you've seen it, Fellowship of the Ring, it's the first time that the hobbits come into contact with the ring wraiths. They're staying at the, at the hotel, at the dancing, at the, the prancing pony. They're upstairs, and these ring wraiths show up to kill them, and they're listening to them screech and, and pull out their weapons. And Strider, he's Aragorn. They don't know that yet. His identity's concealed. But he asked Frodo, he says, are you frightened? And the hobbit says, yes. And Strider says, not nearly frightened enough. I know what hunts you. <laughs> I, I, I love that. It's, it's a gripping scene from the movie. And I can't help but think of this. Because I want to ask Christians, are you encouraged? Are you comforted? Do you feel emboldened? And they might say, yeah. And I want to say, not nearly comforted enough because I know what hunts you. <laughs> I know that God's faithfulness and his goodness and his mercy is chasing you. It's after you, man. You can't outrun it. You cannot outrun God's mercy. And listen, you can't outsend God's mercy. So many Christians feel uh, just debilitated. They're like, but, but you don't know, Pastor. You don't know me. You don't know how, how fickle my faith is, how, how unfaithfulness I can be at, at, at times. Well, that's the beauty. This host does know. God knows everything about you. He knows the deepest, darkest, blackest part of your heart, and he's not going anywhere. He's still chasing after you, protecting you guiding you, leading you to green pastures where you can be nourished and fed and you don't have to starve and live this, eke out this meager existence on scraps from the master's table. No, you are at the table. You are his guest of honor. Put your feet up. Let this God lavish you with his gifts and his grace and you don't have to worry about anything. As long as you are following this shepherd and you've taken that ring out of your pocket that you thought gave you rest and you're tossing it and then you can go to Rivendell, so to speak, right? And you can let uh, this host just lavish all of his gifts on you. You don't have to feel enslaved or trapped or in prison. 
And again, I want to tell you the first part of this psalm, the part that's about the sheep and the shepherd, again, it points us to what Jesus said in John chapter 10. He called himself the good shepherd. He said, I'm the good shepherd, and the sheep hear my voice, and I lay down my life for the sheep. You know how good this shepherd is? He died for his wayward, fickle, dirty sheep like us, right? He died for us. But I want to tell you something that I think is even more powerful. You know, we're talking about this place of rest, this oasis in the desert. We're talking about a host showing us hospitality, preparing a table for us, making our enemies watch him honor us, and, and that we never have to worry about anything. We have assurance. But listen, I don't want you to think about this so much as a place of rest, because as beautiful as this psalm is, it lacks the clarity that we find in the New Testament. This place of rest is actually, it becomes a person of rest. It's Jesus. And you know, the, as, as captivating as this invitation is to come uh, and feast at this table and let the Lord lavish these things on you, Jesus' invitation is more captivating. And I think we have a slide for Matthew chapter 11, verses 28. I want to read that to you. And I want you to let these words wash over your heart and mind, okay? Jesus said this in Matthew 11. He said, come to me, you come to me, all who labor and are heavy laden, and I will give you rest. Take my yoke upon you and learn from me, for I am gentle and lowly in heart, and you will find rest for your souls. For my yoke is easy and my burden is light. I just want to ask you a question as we close out. Can you say that? Can you, can you truly say, you know what? I am at rest my shepherd has protected me. He has guided me. He has settled and anchored and stabilized my heart. I lack nothing. I, my cup overflows. I'm completely full because I know the shepherd and I know the host and everything has been provided for me. I, I am living the good life because this is not like, you know, some people would say your best life now kind of idea, prosperity gospel. You can get a yacht or a jet or golden sneakers. It's nothing like that. Uh, but these promises are real and they're solid. And it's that God has got your ear, he's got your back, and he's got your heart. And you can come to him and you can find the true rest that, listen, your heart is longing for. And, and, and if you don't find it, if you don't look for it in Christ, friends, you're not going to find true rest. You're going to be unsettled and you're going to be tossed to and fro. And this news about this virus, as it changes, as it develops, as it gets updated, updated you're going to be shifting and changing back and forth with it. But you can, you can find stability and hope and let your heart be settled and get anchored uh, by doing what this psalm really implies that you need to do. And that is come to Jesus Christ and find rest for your souls. Amen. Well, let's pray and then think Megan's going to come and give us some announcements and do our charge. So that way to feel as, as much like our gathering uh, as we can. I want to pray uh, and then let her come. Lord, thank you so much for these truths. I pray our hearts have been anchored by them and our minds have been renewed. Lord, help us to turn away from the crumbling foundations that, we're, that we've been trusting in. Maybe uh, for all of us, Lord, the, the noise has been turned down a little bit and you're helping us to rethink our life at a deeper level, to think about the things that we trusted in, the things that we have hoped in, the news that we are looking for, uh, and it's been in front of us all along and this psalm just lays it out for us so clearly. Help help our minds and our hearts attached to this hope, Lord, and not be uh, averse to it and to not be repelled by it, to, um, for our hearts to find our longing and settle all of us, Lord, and may these days be a time where we can truly be the insiders for the outsiders. We are always showing by our life, by
by our responses, by our reactions, what kind of shepherd we are following, uh, what kind of rest we are finding in Jesus, and may they see that and be attracted to it and want to know more about it. And may we always be ready to give an answer for the hope that is within us with meekness and with fear. And we pray all of these things in the mighty and powerful name of Jesus. Amen. Megan, you come and give us some announcements this morning and then do our charge. things for you all today. Um, first of all, um, I just wanted to let you know that if you want to stay connected or you want updates um, as to what's going on with our gatherings and um, our events during this time, um, our website, www.gracelifeflorida.com, um, will be updated um, the quickest um, live time updates as uh, Pastor Tommy and the elders uh, make decisions about various things that will be updated um, first and foremost. We also have an email listing and a texting uh, listing. The texting is brand new as of this week. Um, we understand that not everybody checks their emails as much as um, you may have you know, years ago. So if you are interested in joining either that email list or um, the text list and you are not already a part of it, you can email um, me at contact at gracelifeflorida.com and we will get you uh, set up on those lists. Um, I also wanted to mention that on the website, if you're looking for um, just some weekly encouragement, I know that your social media feeds and your phones and your TVs are flooded with um, a lot of heavy news um, with what's going on. If we are posting blogs and activities for your kids. Um, our children's ministry staff is doing an awesome job of uh, brainstorming ways for your kiddos to stay busy while they're in the house. Um, and we're so thankful for that. So if you're looking just for some encouraging um, messages and activities, uh, you can follow us on social media. That's on our website and on um, our email listing and text listing as well. Um, Lastly, if you're looking for counseling during this time, um, we are super grateful to partner with Fieldstone Counseling. Melissa Affalter is our Grace Life representative for Fieldstone, and they're offering remote counseling during this time, which is super uh, a great resource. If you are in need of counseling, um, you can email us at the same email address, contact at gracelifeflorida.com, and we will get you connected with Melissa. Um, and that is all the announcements I have for you today. If you want to say the charge uh, with me, we will start now. Um, I am a witness. I have been called to minister to my neighborhood in both word and deed. God has given me his word to equip me, his spirit to empower me, and his love to motivate me. I pledge my life for the gospel. You have been sent. Amen. Have a great week, you guys.